gives this the dagger. Oh! Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block in the sidelines. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! Hey, it's the Outsiders podcast number 47. Brent Griffiths along with Robin Brownlee. How you doing, Robin? Everything okay? Everything's absolutely perfect, pal. Ready to go. Looking forward to this one today because we're going to be chatting with a former Edmonton Oiler. I, you know what? I can't even say that because he's still an Edmonton Oiler in so many ways. Not a former Edmonton Oiler, but... Kevin Lowe joins us on The Outsiders today. Lots of stuff to talk about. And uh, I guess the the big thing is he's been inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's an inductee, the actual formal part of the induction uh, process hasn't happened yet because of COVID, but uh, I'm kind of curious to know how he's been able to hang in there. His announcement was, what, 16 months ago, I think it was, and, and yet here we are, but there's that. He's always been heavily involved with Hockey Canada, and now he's been uh, selected to be a member of the Order of Hockey Canada. So congratulations on that. And a six-time Stanley Cup champion. And he's done pretty much every job with the Edmonton Oilers, that's for sure. So I'm looking forward to chatting with Kevin today. Well, if you talk about the face of the Oilers, uh, you know, a lot of people look at the the, uh, big names. It starts with 99, but... uh, 1979, drafted by the Oilers, scores the first goal. We're going on, uh, well, not unbroken, but 40-plus years uh, with this organization in one form or another with that break in New York. Kevin has done everything. He's played the game. He's coached the game. He's managed the game. uh, And he's had to sit through some uh, difficult years uh, when he couldn't do anything on the ice to impact the outcome you and I both know how competitive Kevin is, and uh, we got to ask him about that. Uh, you know, when you get to 40 years, uh, you're a face of a franchise when it comes to that kind of thing. You said he scored the first goal in NHL history, right? Not Oilers history? Yeah, and, NHL history. Yes, and the only reason I bring that up is because I remember uh, – going out to, it might have been Lloyd Minster or Fort Mack, and we were flown out there by uh, Cal Nichols on his private plane. Cal was the pilot. Had a chance to sit up front with him on that trip. But we had the best discussion coming back, and Patrick LaForge was there, Alan Watt, a bunch of other people. And I'm one of these guys that grew up in Edmonton, so for me, I watched the Edmonton Oilers as the Alberta Oilers in the first year Uh back in the old Edmonton Gardens. And so... I always kind of took offense a little bit to uh, to those who suggested that the Edmonton Oilers really never started until 1979, and I used to go, uh-uh, 1972. We we would have that debate frequently in the office, and you know, one of the things Al Hamilton was instrumental in the franchise in its World Hockey Association days as a leader, uh-huh. and his uh, his is the only banner up in the in the building that he he is not a Hockey Hall of Fame member, but he meant so much to the team at the time. But 
I remember having that discussion on the plane trip, coming back over a couple cocktails, and uh, and uh, I I will always defend the World Hockey Association boys as much as I do the NHL guys. So uh, it just it's been an organization that's been around for a very long time. Hey, before we get into the Kevin Lowe stuff, Tiger Woods became a big story last week with that car accident. When did you kind of tune in to everything that had happened in Los Angeles? Did you just kind of stumble upon it, or for me, I was just doing some work, and all of a sudden, got a bulletin coming across on Twitter, turned it on, and it was nonstop TV coverage on CNN and CTV and CBC and all the major news stories and news channels. It was. I'm glad that it turned out the way it did. It's going to be tough for him to battle back, but it could have been so much worse that accident. Yeah, you know what? The first I heard of it, Bryn, as you mentioned it to me, and I can't remember whether it was uh, in a text or a, a phone call we were having, but uh, you said, did you see that Tiger stuff? And at that point, I hadn't. Once I found out about it, I probably watched everything I could see for the first half day that it was uh, yeah. that it was on. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV, as they say. Yeah. But, uh, um that's going to be a tough one. I, I think, uh, you know, as life sometimes deals cards that we're not ready for, I would be absolutely stunned. I hope I'm wrong. If we ever see him play competitive golf again, most important thing obviously is that he recovers and that his, uh, quality of life is still there. And it sounds like, uh, hopefully it will be, he'll certainly have the best of everything to, uh, get back up and, and, uh, back to normal again but yeah that that's a shocker i mean uh that's the greatest uh player and one of the most recognized uh sports uh personalities of many generations involved in a in a really serious wreck and uh yeah I, it had my eyeballs on it for half the day after you you mentioned it to me. I almost feel it was a little irrelevant to be worried about what's this going to do for his career i was more worried about him surviving and yeah. also being able to be with his family more than anything, whether or not he doesn't owe the game anything anymore. No. You know, as a fan, yeah, you'd hate to see it taken away. But you know what? That, that day's going to come anyway. So uh, I just hope that he's able to get his life together. He's going to be able to walk normally again. And uh, he's going to be able to watch his kid golf. There's a lot of other positives for Tiger. I, I, whether or not he ever comes back competitively, I really don't care. I just want to see him come back. That's uh, that's that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, yeah. agreed. And one of I don't know who who sent it out the, the day of the accident, and it's right along the lines of what you're saying, Bryn. Uh, it showed uh, some pictures of him golfing with his son. Um, if he can do that, that's probably all the golf he needs from now on, because that's something you don't forget about that. And you moments like this make you realize that it. it Things, important things can come and go like that. So whatever's next for Tiger, you hope that it's health uh, and family first and uh, uh, anything else is gravy. I think it was Rory McIlroy that uh, was one of the guys who said, look, we, we got to put this into perspective. And uh, that's what it is. And like, But it's hard for fans to say they don't want, you know, it's hard for fans. They want to see more of them. They can't see enough of them. So it's, uh, I, I get that. Hey, I'm also wearing red today because today is March the 1st. I have a I have a heritage that's Welsh, and uh, I know St. Patrick's Day is the more popular one, 
But today is Saint Pat is not Saint Patrick's Day, but Saint David's Day today. So to all of my Welsh buddies out there, I want to say, uh, hey, listen, this is our special day. We start drinking seventeen days before the uh, the the Irish do. So that's uh, pretty much it. Okay, look, uh, we we're going extra long with Kevin today. So let's get right to it. Before we do, though, we have to remind you. And we happily do so that The Outsiders is brought to you by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. The team over at the McIntosh Group, super excited about this new promotion they've got going right now for sellers. I love this, what they're doing. Obviously, like everybody else, they, they provide professional photography, the 360-degree tours. They also show the video and the floor plans of all of their listings. But now they've added something called Coming Soon. So what they're doing is they're giving you a bit of a heads-up on property that is going to go on the market ahead of time. So that way you get a chance, you know, it's about seven to 10 days ahead. And it gives you an opportunity to see whether or not you really kind of are interested in that place. So what ends up happening is that when it does go on the market, you can get a hold of them right away. I think I love that. Don't you? I think it's fantastic. A little sneak peek, as it were. Absolutely. Great idea. Yeah. So, uh, and what it's also doing, they're finding, is it's uh, it's resulting in more showings in less time. And also, they're finding their sale prices are higher because they're getting competitive offers in. And uh, the market is not as, as soft as you think here. But if you'd like more information, get a hold of Brent or any of his team members at the Macintosh Group and tell them that you heard from the insiders. Sorry, the outsiders. I keep blowing that one every time because, well, we are Brent's insiders. Anyway, uh, just get a hold of the Macintosh Group at 780-464-0075 or online at macintoshgroup.ca. Okay, you ready to go? Ready to go. Take a deep breath. Coming up next, Kevin Lowe. I almost feel like we're a little late on this because he was selected to join the honored members at the Hockey Hall of Fame 16 months ago. But because of the way COVID's gone, that's been delayed. But you know what? doesn't really matter. It's going to happen. And then just last week, he was, uh, he was awarded another big honor, the Order of Hockey Canada. So it only seemed appropriate now was the time to make the call and track down Kevin Lowe. Edmonton Oiler, great, and he joins us on The Outsiders today. Kev, how you doing? I'm doing great, Brent. Thanks. Good to be on with you guys. Well, let's uh, let's briefly touch on the Hockey Hall of Fame first. Is Has this 16 months been driving you crazy? Because I know you're a man of action, but I guess you're just kind of rolling <laughs> with the punches with this COVID thing, right? Yeah. You know, it's uh, – uh, Thinking of it from the humorous side, uh, I guess, or the practical side, I'm in. You know, whether yes. they have the official presentation or not, it's uh, I, it's it's not like they can uh, they can yank it back. So, uh, and they're hopeful this November. Um, uh, hearing from uh, from Landon McDonald and the Hall of Fame crew there that um, it'll go on as as planned. It'll be. The class of our class, the class of 2020, will go in uh, this November, assuming things are back to normal. And and the, the more recent news that we got was that they decided to forego the, the 2021 class so that 
our class of 2020 would be the only ones going in this year. Uh, so it's just kind of nice. Say it's such a special time, and to try to stack up two classes together, it's uh, it's not a big venue in Toronto uh, for people to attend uh, to the public uh, event. Uh, as it stands, it's always tough ticket. Anyhow, with just one class, so two two classes would be crazy. So it, what, what it does is it gives us more time to sort of be the class. Uh, we're the class for 2020 and 2021. And, and someone flipped me a picture uh, the other day of the Hall of Fame in Toronto, the building uh, uh, downtown Toronto, and they have on the windows, they have the 2020 pictures of the 2020 class. So uh, that person was saying, wow, it was so cool to see your picture. And then six months later, it was like, can't believe that picture is still up. How long are we going to have to look at it? <laughs> yeah. Kevin, 16 months can't seem too long um, because you waited 20 years for this yeah. to happen. Um, talking about that, the one thing that strikes me, and there was a debate for a long time, should Kevin be in, should he not be in, how you measure great hockey players – we know about the six cups. Everybody knows about all that. The one thing that strikes me is how many people, uh, former teammates went to bat for you, uh, that said, we think Kevin Lowe belongs in the hockey hall of fame at the end of the day you're in, but what did that mean to you to have so many people step up and speak on your behalf? Well, you know, it's, uh, it meant to, so much, Robin, uh, and that—that's really at the end of the day, you know, the most uh, uh, pleasure I get it, and I suppose, um, um, you know, the uh, I was I was shown the sort of the, the package that they send to the hall and the letters that were submitted, and when you read that, it's you know, it's really touching, and uh, uh, you know, I. I I've said this quite often since the day I got the call from Lanny McDonald is that I, you know, to me, the hockey hall of fame was always for, you know, the likes of Gretzky and Howe and Messier and Belleville and Bobby Orr. I mean, the greats of the games. Um, and, and I guess in, you know, in support of my case, I never, I never sat around. You said, well, you waited 20 years. I really wasn't waiting. I, I would only hear from people, well, you, you know, the Hall of Fame boats come and your name's on there. And I'd say, oh, is that right? And uh, I, I never really envisioned myself being there. So it was never a big letdown if I wasn't called. I was happy with my career, happy with my accomplishments. Um, uh, and of course, but when the, the time did come, I was a little bit shocked. But, you know, having said all that, the Hall does have players uh, that you know, many of, well, many of them didn't have near the accomplishments that I had. Uh, let's forget the statistical part, but at the end of the day, the, the game of hockey, I believe the way we see it is about the Stanley cup. It's not about scoring a bunch of points. It's not about, uh, of course you need all those things, but the end goal, yeah, you hear everyone say it. You hear Connor McDavid, you heard Wayne Gretzky, you know, with it, Oh, I'm MVP top scorer, but, they want to win a Stanley Cup. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say a corner of that market, but I was fortunate to have all those. So, um, yeah, I, again, as I say, I wasn't 
Uh, I was never disappointed uh, and quite frankly thought it would never happen. And, you know, in my mind, maybe rightfully so. But when the call did came, did come, it was, it was a thrill. Six cups. Am I correct? If I'm not mistaken, it's six cups. And so I was thinking about this yesterday. There's got to be a a crazy wild difference from cup one to cup six. And, you know, you won in two locations, Edmonton and New York. But when you look back at those six cups, I know that, that the first one's special. I know the last one you wonder, is this the last one? Because it's so hard to win. And then you have the 1991 where that was the first one without Wayne. And I know having traveled with you guys that that was special because you had something to prove to the hockey world that it could be done without Wayne. So totally different, but is, is the number one still the number one? Uh, (laughs) It has been. Yes. I'd say it probably has been. uh, uh, And yeah, you're right. Probably always will be, but, the way you described five and six, they're they're pretty darn special too, and um, uh, you know one is the one where you remember. I mean, you'll always remember the actually sitting on the bench. So when Dave Lumley scored the open net goal to to put us up five two with you know less than a minute left, it wasn't until that very moment that I actually realized. We're going to be. I'm going to be touching the Stanley Cup, and in, in, you know, and within minutes, like we're we've actually won the Stanley Cup. It's it's official, and uh, we'll forever remember that moment. Uh, but um, you know, the run in in '90, uh, and you know, validating Mark's place, you know, in the historical significance of the Oilers was was a big thing, and then even one step further, validating, you know, Mark's. Um, place in in the, in pro sports ever, you know, to do what he did uh, in New York was was and and we we're such great friends and to have other friends, you know, best friends like Craig McTavish there and Glenn Anderson and and uh, you know Jeff Bukaboom and then you know the wacky Essa ticket and uh, it uh, Adam Graves of course it was that was pretty special. You know, Kevin. When you're when you're on the job, I mean, uh, from my end of things, you got a job to do. But I don't think I ever told you this. The first time I, I missed all those the, the first four parades, the teams that blew other teams away, Gretzky and the the high powered Oilers. I got here in December of '89, and I wa- I saw I covered the end of the season and and the '90 Stanley Cup. And I remember walking into that room the first time, and whether Gretzky was there or not, it was like, this is effing awesome. This is the Edmonton Oilers. And you look around, there's still Mark Messier, and there's and there's Craig McTavish, and there's Kevin Lowe, and, and so many of the players that you watch on TV from afar, and then you get into covering that team. And this was the one that was the most unlikely and it wasn't a matter of, it wasn't about swagger in 1990, was it? This was a different Oiler team, and you had to navigate your way through to that Stanley Cup. Yeah, but it, and it probably was the most fun, Robin. Uh, that, that group of, of young guys that we had, uh, I mean, we had a blast. And winning the Cup, uh, you know, in Boston and then, you know, coming home. So we had more time to sort of, uh, really 
just be together and, and enjoy. But, um, yeah, I mean, we stumbled through the first series, if you remember, and Billy Ramford oh, all yeah. of a sudden became Billy Ramford MVP. And, uh, you know, there was some doubts, I, I would imagine, because we lost the year before. We remember we had the LA Kings down 3-1, and then we lost in seven, which was crushing. But I really feel that that losing that way and losing to Wayne and seeing Wayne dance around in game seven when he beat us. And it wasn't in a mocking jest. It was just in the happiness perspective that it, I think it really, it really cemented our resolve for the following year, not to let an opportunity slide by. And, and here we were, you know, in the spring of 90 presented with another opportunity, just getting to the playoffs is difficult as we know. And, but with when you still have, as you say, Messier and Curry, you know, still in their prime, and Anderson, and then you throw in all the other guys, uh, those young guys that came in. Uh, we could we could smell it. You know, after we got through that first series, we could smell it, and and uh, we navigated our way through. Far be it from a Smythe Division uh, standpoint to watch a Winnipeg or Calgary scare the living shit out of you guys in the first round to push you to the great to the great limits. I, that was a yeah. that series against the Jets was an amazing one, uh, and the other thing too that I noticed all the way through that run, it always seemed like it was somebody a little different in each series because Mass at the Chicago Stadium was on fire. You had the kid line and the and the LA sweep, and then when you got to the Boston Garden for the final, that's where you saw Andy pick it up, and uh, Simmer uh, Craig Simpson with some big goals and Billy Ranford. It always seems like if you're going to win a cup in every series, somebody else has got to kind of pick it up a little bit, and it was a, that was a fun run. Yeah, it was, and you you know you mentioned some very important names, uh, Craig Simpson, one of them. I mean, he had really become uh, a leader on that team and scored a. I mean, he was a perfect complement to Messi and Anderson, if you could think of a perfect line mate. I mean, he had exceptional uh, hockey sense. And great hands, great shot, and 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 great willingness to score goals. So uh, I think the Oilers could use a guy like that right now. Uh, you know, in front of net, banging away at some goals. Uh, that'd be one piece, I guess, that I could see would really uh, benefit today's hockey team. But uh, yeah, it was it, it. You know, the whole thing again, too. Not to touch too much on Wayne, but. There was no, uh, oh, we did it, you know, without Wayne. Uh, but probably subliminally, there was a fair amount of that in us, especially for the older guys. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that's, a, that's those kinds of emotional things can be great motivators. Kevin, going to that last cup, you know, what's that lyric, uh, Sinatra, if I can make it there, you know, I'll make it anywhere. Different, different uniform, but you're in the media center of, of, if not the universe, at least North America in New York, and you've got some familiar faces with you from the glory days in Edmonton. Um, winning that last one without knowing at the time it was the last one, talk a little bit about that because five here, but that last one there, that had to be special as well. Uh, yeah, if for a number of reasons, one, it, it, it sort of brought us once you, there's, a, there's been a, a number of players that have won five, but 
six or more is kind of, you know, obviously the next threshold and it's a big one. It really eliminates a lot of players that have just only won five. <laughs> Funny to even talk about that. But when you talk about New York, uh, Robin, and, and yeah, it was, it was massive. I mean, the, the uh, New York Knicks and Houston Rockets went to game seven that year as well for, for Madison Square Garden Sports, which owned the Rangers and the Knicks. Uh, I mean, the city was completely on fire. Springtime in New York is, you know, is, it's, it's a fantastic place. The weather's great. Uh, but uh, that's where the sort of, the, from my perspective anyways, the, the story kind of ends. I have no stories of, you know, incredible parties, New York parties and stuff. Because quite honestly, I was 35 at the time. And I think back and chuckle. We, we, I mean, we, we had two seven-game series back-to-back semifinals and finals. Uh, you know, at 35 in the NHL, you're starting to be a little long in the tooth. And um, I was I was banged up. Um, and uh, so we won that night, of course. We went out and celebrated. The, the next night or the next morning, mess phone and, you know, with the, with the address of where the party's going to be and all these things that are going on, I said, I said, mess, I said, you know, I just don't have the energy. I, I'm going to have to take a pass, pass on today and, and uh, you know, I'll catch up with you guys uh, tomorrow. And so sure enough, uh, the next day comes and Mark phones again. And uh, so this is the, the agenda for today. We're going here, you know, two o'clock and there at four o'clock and giving me a whole shopping list of, of parties and events and the same answer. You know, I just, I, I just don't have the energy. And I ended up doing that for about five days in a row. Uh, so I missed out on a lot of the, you know, a lot of the celebrations, but, uh, at the end of the day, uh, just hoisting the cup and having some champagne in the dressing room is really what you really look for. Hey, this, uh, this order of hockey Canada, I know how much hockey Canada means to you. We can go right back to those Salt Lake city Olympics and, and, uh, how special that was. But when you think of your, uh, your time with the gang at hockey Canada, where, where, where do you need, where does your mind immediately go on that one? Uh, well, Salt Lake city for sure. Yeah. Uh, Brit, um, that was, you know, the, the, the backstory to that is a couple things. One being, uh, in 2000, uh, Wayne phoned me up and, and you'd think, well, I mean, you know, we probably talked often at that stage in our life. We had, hadn't talked very often because we were both had families at that point, you know, uh, he was living, I guess in Los Angeles or whatever. So we probably hadn't talked for a year or longer. And so when I got a call, it was just nice to hear from him. And, but what, you know, even more pleasing than that was the fact that he asked me, he told me that he was going to be the, you know, the top guy for Hockey Canada to select a team. He had been asked by Bob Nicholson and, and that I was his first call to assist him in it. And, and, and so I'll forever remember that just because of the context of our relationship. And, you know, you just, you kind of, when you, you, I don't need to tell you guys when you, when you, you know, as you get older, if you're not in, in the same lane, you, you know, you have, if you're not living in the same city, not in the same lane, you, you tend to have a call once in the you know blue moon type of thing. So, and then fast forward to the actual games, and then you, you know you get the whole backstory. Canada hadn't won a gold medal in 50 years in hockey at the Olympics. It's like wow. And then of course what happened in '98 and and not meddling at all. So there was 
Uh, and then we get to the first game of, of, of the tournament and we get smoked by the Swedes. And I was like, Oh my goodness. I, I wasn't, I didn't sign up for this, <laughs> but then everything else that happened after that. And then the fast forward to, you know, one minute left in the game, uh, we're up five, two on the Americans, uh, all the Canadians that are in the building are singing Oh Canada, uh, never seen that before. And, uh, you know, so that was, uh, you know, that's certainly the, the pivotal moment in my, in my days with, with, uh, hockey Canada. I, I gotta ask you to spill the beans on this a little bit. Wayne's Wayne's defense of the team at that one press conference you guys must have talked about that before you did it, or was that just classic Wayne reading the situation, taking a little bit of a slats page and trying to take the focus off of the team? Was that a spur of the moment thing, or did he say to you, Kev, I got to do this, or I got to do that? Uh, he, he Well, for sure it was building up. And uh, <laughs> I just said this yesterday. I think he just flat out snapped. He had had enough. I don't, I don't think he was planning on that. But I think it, you know, it was just the emotion of everything. Um, and, but but also knowing Wayne, Wayne, I mean, a lot like Slats, always thinking of the bigger picture and you know maybe deflecting some of the attention off the question. I don't know about all that, but for sure, we had I had, I had uh, we used to meet for for coffee or breakfast every morning at a Denny's in Salt Lake City, and uh, Walter would be there and. And uh, Steve Tambellini and and uh, Charlie Henry, uh, Wayne's old family friend and hockey man, and and whoever else was kind of around. And um, Blackberry had just come out, and I had one of the first Blackberries. They were, they were still like the pagers, you know. They were where the headlines came across, and you could scroll, you could hit on it, and open up the stories. And we yeah, exactly we're getting all the with the little wheel. And so I was able to get all the. The, the stories from Canada. So I would sit there having coffee and I'd, you know, I'd go, well, so-and-so saying this and so-and-so saying that. And I could just see Rain, Wayne getting redder and redder, you know, and I could just spitting mad at those turncoats, those B-A-S-P-A-R-D-S, you know, and uh, uh, so he really, I mean, and of course there was other uh, uh, stuff on that and it, it, you know, it comes with the territory, but, but uh, you know, it was. It just shows you how passionate he was uh, as as a, as a hockey person. How could you guys possibly have breakfast at a place like Denny's and not be recognized? Is that possible? You know, what's we, we we rarely did. He maybe once in a while, but it, it was it was interesting um, how we would we'd slide in there and 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 nobody even knew who was you know that Wayne Gretzky was actually at Denny's. Well, Wayne and Walter. <laughs> um, talk about a group. I mean, four Olympic Games in the management of Team Canada. Um, a lot of hockey knowledge around. Um, you spent almost as much time now uh, because you moved away from hockey ops, but in hockey ops as a GM, as a decision maker, as you did playing. I mean, um, I tell you what, it's two. It, it is two careers. You're not. You haven't dabbled in management and coaching. You've done it now for as long as you played. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. Uh, and uh, I certainly feel it every day when I wake up. <laughs> um, really, again, as I said earlier, really fortunate. 
Uh, I mean, I always hoped that I would have a career in hockey afterwards. I mean, you guys probably heard me say, I thought, well, if it didn't work in on the hockey side that I, you know, was, would maybe be on the media side. I used to say that as a, as a towards the end of my playing career. Uh, and then lo and behold, um, um, you know, Glenn had organized for me to come back to Edmonton and play another year with, with the opportunity to be assistant coach and then involved in the head coach and then the general manager uh, and then into president and then into uh, uh, vice chair was my last title. I was running out of titles. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, the latter, the later stages obviously has been um, uh, a credit due to, I guess, my commitment to the game. And I guess, uh, you know, people still valued my opinion when, when I had it to offer. And uh, I, I, I work hard at, at the promotion of the game. I try to be an ambassador of the game. I, you know, I'm going into the order of hockey in Canada with a lot of great names, uh, uh, including some former teammates and friends and, and, and Wayne, of course, and Mark Messier and Ryan Smith, you know, uh, Captain Canada. But also maybe even more importantly for me, my child, childhood idol and John Belleville. And, um, you know, Belleville was the, is the barometer, was the barometer for me in terms of, you know, uh, perform it will try to perform you know well on the ice but also the stuff off the ice so uh i've i mean it, i i want to say it comes naturally but i also a lot of times it's it's not you know you're when you're in the public eye all the time it's uh, not the easiest thing but at the end of the day you know i my position with the oilers is to serve as an ambassador and uh you know to, to try to be as uh, a good representative of what the game should be I want to go back to what, at least as an outsider, I consider your wheelhouse. And that is your passion for the game. Uh, as a player, I mean, your brother, Kenny, talked about, you know, we know what you played through. Uh, you know, the pain threshold is a cada- of a cadaver is one of those sayings. Just take me up, put me out. Um so many times over the years, and sometimes I was on the wrong end of that passion uh, over something over something I'd said or written. But I remember in '98, uh, July 30th, even when it had been laid out that you'd come back, you'd be an assistant coach. But I remember you and Karen walking in the room, and I thought the over under on Kevin breaking down is about five seconds, and <laughs> sure enough, you hit the under easily. And, and that stuck with me, Kevin. You'd accomplished so much as a player. You had a future at least sort of mapped out. Yet the emotion grabbed you in the moment. You've been like that in many circumstances. Where does that come from with you? Uh, yeah, I guess it's... Um, I remember, Thanks for bringing that up, uh, Robin. I'm going to get emotional again. But <laughs> um, I mean, I could say a bunch of things uh i remember that well um the you know so is my family i mean if i could show you a picture um i have a picture that i cherish and it's me when i'm about two years old and uh it's a team photo of uh they were i think they were peewees or bantams peewees probably and in the photo is seven of my cousins 
and my dad is the coach and my uncle, who's my godfather, was the assistant coach. And I'm sitting, you know, at the, uh, on the ice with the trophies and the sticks. And uh, it, it's there. I mean, hockey, hockey was uh, like a religion in our family. I'm the third youngest of my generation, of which there's 36. And, and uh, so lots of hockey going on. I grew up in that environment. And, uh, but, but it was never forced on me. I just loved to do it. You know, it was, uh, it just, it, it really became natural. Now the, you, you asked about the passion and I, 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 I find this comical to this day. So I'm not in the hockey de- decision-making. I haven't been for quite some time relative to the Oilers, but when the Oilers play poorly, uh, or guys are making mistakes, I'm watching the game and feeling the exact same way as I did as when I was a general manager and I was a guy in the chair in charge. Like, it's it's strange that I... So I'm thinking back in those days, it wasn't... It, I wasn't feeling that way because I was a guy responsible. I was just feeling that way because I want the team to win. That's all. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if I'm watching a game now and they're playing poorly, I'll... I'll First of all, I'll turn the sound down because I can't, don't want to hear, and 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 you know, I'll force myself to watch to see if I can pull out a nugget of enjoyment out of it. But thank goodness I've been able to watch all the games this year. <laughs> hey, I got to bring this one up because my better half brought it up, and that is, how did Kevin and Karen meet? Because part of your success as you move forward, and you've got a great family, and they've all done exceptionally well as they spread out, but. Karen, just it seemed to me was such a perfect match for you, and didn't really stop you from being you. And it, that's, I think that that's a, a credit to her as much as it is to you. But do you remember the first time you guys ever met? Hey, oh yeah, oh yeah. No, the story is uh, it's an interesting one. Um, so we met at uh, uh, a fundraiser that Wayne had and uh, Wayne Gretzky had in Brantford. Um, I believe at the time was the was a CNIB. I think was the benefactor to it. But it was uh, we were playing uh, for a number of years. Wayne had an event in Brantford. Uh, uh, Wayne Gretzky and friends, they called it, and it was uh, it was tennis, and then it, then it became softball. I guess I think the year I met Karen was softball. Karen's agent at the time was Mike Barnett, who was Wayne Gretzky's longtime agent and good friend. And, uh, so Karen was also attending this celebrity event and, uh, the way the story goes, it's a little bit long, uh, but I think you'll appreciate kind of the punchlines is I was with, uh, Mark and I were visiting Wayne in at his place in California. Wayne and Janet headed to Brantford, uh, some days before to prepare for the tournament and, and Mark and I were scheduled to follow to Brantford for the event. Uh, things happened and, and Mark wasn't able to attend. Uh, so we left the last time he saw me, um, I was very much single and, and, uh, so he left and happened to travel to the far East and, you know, 1989, uh, you know, no internet, no nothing to stay connected. And within three weeks' time, I had met Karen and asked her to marry me. Uh, so when Mark returned home to Edmonton three weeks later, uh, he phoned my house and uh, uh, 
good friend of mine who both of you know, Sandy Nesbitt, was uh, my roommate at the time. And Sandy answered the phone and Mark was looking for me. And, and Sandy said, Mark, oh my goodness, we missed you. We, we, we had an engagement party for Kevin. And uh, Mark went, yeah, yeah, uh, funny, funny. And I said, where's Kevin? And, and said, no, no, Mark, seriously, um, we, Kevin got engaged. And, and Mark was like, oh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's a good, good story. You know, second time. And then as Sandy tells the story, Sandy said, no, no, Mark, seriously. And Mark actually got, you know, Mark got mad at Sandy. And Sandy, like, cut the bullshit. Uh, where's Kevin? Anyhow, fast forward to, uh, to it, it all happened very quickly. We don't, uh, we hesitate to even tell our kids that story these days because it's, you know, you you want to have a little longer before you get engaged, but it's worked out. We're 30 plus years married and have four children together. And, and, um, and uh, it certainly was the right decision for me. Uh, I, I suspect, or I hope that she feels the same way, but it worked out. Uh, it certainly. Hey, what is the, see, tell, tell me something, Kevin, um, if you can, when it's only three weeks, how do you know that soon? I remember telling a good friend of mine within a couple months of meeting my wife, but it was, but it was like a couple months, I'm going to marry that girl. It was before I'd asked, before I'd done anything. But three weeks, man, that's like a thunderbolt out of the blue, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. We, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's tough to explain uh, <laughs> without getting into, you know, the psychology of it all, but um, I'm, I'm a little bit older than Karen. Um, she, uh, you know, comes from a great family and, and uh, she, had, so she retired from skiing really young. She was only 23 years old. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, two years post her Olympic medals and one year post uh, a world championship silver medal. And, and, uh, but she, you know, growing up in a great family, she had been traveling in Europe since she was, I think, 14 years old or something. So, and she had had success. And, and I think, you know, the, uh, the, the motherly instinct, she, she, she wanted to get married and have kids. And in those days, I imagine it, maybe it's a little easier now to be a skier and do that. I, I'm not even sure, but that, that was a big part of her life. And, and, uh, um, so, course kids came very quickly and uh and uh, we've had such a great time and now we have our first grandchild our son Keegan and his wife Bree provided that and and I I see just last night we we're FaceTiming them they're down in California and man I just can't believe how much she loves to see that baby and and and, and, and I mean as I do but I mean for you know for women and and females, I guess that motherly instinct is just over the top. So uh, I guess that's probably what drove her is that, you know, she wanted a family. Hey, we're going to be all over the place uh, down the stretch here. I'm wearing red. Uh, Watch Tiger's uh, story develop last week and then watch what the PGA guys did where they were wearing red yesterday on, uh, on, you know, on television. But, uh, I still remember a, a story, and uh, I was working at the Oilers at the time, and you had gone and met Wayne and Mac T for a round of golf. And um, and when you came back, you were excited about this round of golf, and you didn't initially tell everybody why, 
And then eventually you did, because there's no way you could keep a secret about golfing with Tiger Woods and Wayne Gretzky. Do you remember that round very much? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I sure do. <clears throat> Wayne, uh, Mac T and I happened to be in Vegas, and, and Wayne caught up with us and said, uh, hey, uh, you guys up to playing a round of golf with uh, Tiger's down here. He had just come back from one of his first injuries and uh, was was about ready to go play in a tournament, I think, in Germany or something. And, uh, you know, of course, I mean, I'm not the greatest golfer in the world, so I'm like, oh, man, how do I pass up on the opportunity of playing golf with Tiger Woods? But So uh, we agreed to go. It was brutally cold that day in Vegas. We had to go buy extra clothes and stuff because we only had our shorts and whatever. Uh, so that was kind of uh, – I'll always remember that. But I'll always remember being on the first tee box and, and, you know, my knees just knocking like, okay, just, just, if I can hit one good shot all day, let it be right now. And otherwise I don't really care. And, uh, so it was, a it was, a it was a par four, 479, but it was an elevated tee box. So it wasn't as long as, as 479 sounds. And so, uh, Wayne, uh, Wayne hit, hits first, or no, I think Tiger, we, we gave Tiger the honors. He hit first and then Wayne went second. And, and I kind of looked at Mac T, you go, you go. So Mac T and everybody hit it well. So then it was me. And, uh, uh, so I get up there and, and I got, I've got a hockey player swing or, or not a very nice looking swing, I guess, but I, I hit it right on the screws. I hit it as well as I could right down the middle, took the perfect line and I saw it. I saw it bounce, and I had lost where Tagger's ball was. Um, so, uh, so par four, four seventy nine, and uh, my ball was sitting at the hundred and fifty yard marker. We could, I could see it, you know. So, so, uh, and remember, it was an elevated tee box, so I didn't hit it that. You know what I mean? That had yeah. a lot of help from the elevator. Uh, so I get in the cart. And uh, Mac T goes, uh, how, how'd it go? I get, oh, man, I hit it good. I, 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 like, I hit it on the screws. And he goes, oh, well, that's good. He goes, and I go, I, I think I drove Tagger. And, and he goes, oh, shit. I go, no, no, Mac, look, we're driving down the hill. And he could see my ball at the 150-yard marker. And he goes, is that your ball? I go, yeah, that's my ball. I drove Tagger. And, uh, and so we get down to the flats and then, you know, the undulation of the fairway, then all of a sudden we get close to my ball. Then we could see Tiger's ball at the hundred yard marker. So we, we couldn't see it from the tee box, you know, but <laughs> so he, he loves to tell that story. Oh, I thought I'll, I'll throw Tiger. <laughs> Tiger, Tiger though, was interested in the Stanley cup stories. All right. He, because he, when you're with three other guys that have won a guy competitive and as sports friendly as he is, must have been as fun for him as it was for you guys. Yeah, and that's that's a good point, Bryn. We we had lunch after, and sat you know at a little table in the in the uh, in the spike bar, and uh, he I, I you know it was amazing. I mean, you were, I was just dying to ask him questions, but of course Wayne was you know I don't want to say monopolizing the conversation, but you know we were talking hockey, and he was just happy to eat them and listen and you could see he was you know lapping it all in that's i mean that's in, in somewhat respects my wife karen's the same way when you don't play in a team sport you know th that whole camaraderie and connection is 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 they, they don't they don't ever experience that right it's uh um so uh he yeah he was 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's it's just fortunate I still have the picture sitting in my office, and uh, uh, I got him to sign a, a couple of Titleist number four golf balls. I have his name on it and and, and Wayne's name on it, so those are a couple of special mementos. I tell you what, if that's not the definition of living right, I don't know what is. You go out to the golf course, you tee it up with, the, for my money, the greatest player of all time, with arguably, uh, my generation remembers Jack Nicholas, but the greatest golfer, at least of our lifetimes. That looks pretty good on the mantle when the grandkids come over, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, I was I was even with them after two holes. <laughs> we parred one and bogeyed bogeyed two, but then uh, then it was all over. <laughs> hey, uh, the other guy I want to talk to is another champion, and that's Joey Moss, who we've lost here inside this past year, and and everybody's got a way of how they want to honor him. And to me, I, I I'm going to state what I think. I'd love to see the community arena renamed after him, and I'd like to have a statue of him outside opposite of the Wayne statue on the other side of the building. That to me would be a wonderful honor, but I don't, I just don't know really what, what is appropriate or what is correct because Joe meant so much to all of us, all of us, whether you're a member of the team, member of the organization or a member of the media, we all, we all dealt with Joey every day and loved it. Yeah, no, agree, Bryn. Um, um, the, it's amazing the outpouring that uh, I was fortunate to, you know, sit in in some of the meetings and and discussing you know plans relative to Joe and uh, you know the the piece that Sportsnet put together was incredible. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, there's been lots of dialogue. I mean, there and lots of plans in place. You know, the challenge has been the pandemic, and and you know you know we certainly when uh, when the time comes when whatever is unveiled, you want to have the fans and, and people to be able to be involved. So that's, that's certainly coming down the road. Uh, Pat Garland, who you guys know, well, Pat's uh, uh, that's under his domain and he's, he's done a great job uh, uh, embracing and bringing in everybody for consultation. So sat in a bunch of um, uh, conference calls with former captains and players and, and uh, members of the Moss family. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, without blowing the lid off of what's going to happen uh, down the road, there's, there's, there's going to be some good things, including, uh, and, and Jeff Lang and the players are really adamant about, you know, peace in the draft, some type in the dressing room, which is, which is so fitting. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that. Um, sad to see him go. Uh, he, he, uh, I, I really, you know, I had sort of, I was there from the beginning and the end with uh, Joe. I mean, like you guys know, he was just part of the, part of the fixture, right? Part of the fixture. When you walked in the dressing room, you expected to see him. And, uh, but I was again, fortunate to be with Wayne uh, when he first met, you know, when he was dating Vicky and I was, went over to the Moss's house over in the South side, uh, you know, for Thanksgiving meal and, and seeing Joe in that environment with his, many siblings and, and, uh, and his mom, I believe his aunt at the time, they were just such a loving family. So you could see why Joe, Joe prospered and excelled so much in his life. Uh, cause he had such great family background and then, and, and, you know, great, obviously the orders were part of that family too. 
Now, you're probably not going to want to let us know what's in the plans for Joey, but being me, I, I'll ask. Um, but that aside, um, down the road, Kevin, uh, again, your arm's length from the hockey ops thing. Fans here have, it's remarkable to me, have the greatest player in the game today, again, in Connor McDavid. They have Leon Dreisaitl um, and a team around them and an improving team around them. Can you sit back detached from it or does it pull you back in when you sit and you watch this this young group of players play the game? No, you. it pulls you back for sure. You, you, uh, you know, that, that's what I was, I guess, touching on when I'd say I'd get frustrated when they didn't play well because uh, you, you, you want to, I mean, that's what, that, that's what the goal is. It always is to, to try to get to the, to the upper echelon and win the cup. So you can, you can start to see signs. Um, you know, you can see, you know, for me, I'm, I'm was fortunate to see that the highest level. So I can tell you when it's there, I can tell you the signs when it's getting there, you, the little things, the little sacrifices. I hear it in whenever I have a conversation with Mark Messi, who by the way is still watching and, and, and to listen to him comment. I mean, you know, his comments aren't peripheral and well, they need a puck moving defenseman or they need better goaltending. It's in, it's in other much more important things in his mind, which I agree. It's in, it's in body language. It's in how players stick up for one another. It's a, those are the elements when, when they start tracking, that's when you, you know, see a team getting to another level. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's not an easy thing to win a Stanley cup. There's lots of stuff to, to be done, but, uh, I agree, Robin. They're, they've got some nice pieces now, and, and particularly the two two you mentioned. Uh, love to see Darnell's evolution as well, and and um, yeah, it's 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 uh, at the end of the day when you have those two leads like we had in Mark and Wayne, uh, uh, and and if they have the equal amount of passion to want to win a cup. Uh, but then it's also got to be supported by, a, you know, a good complement of players that have the equal amount of passion to want to win a cup. Uh, then it all comes together. Your involvement in the community is legendary here. And if if somebody isn't aware of it, then they haven't been paying attention. You got involved with the Christmas Bureau. I think that was the first charity you got involved with. But that was something that really was, uh, that was a slats thing where you wanted to get players involved outside of the hockey game. Do you see players now doing that same thing or as much? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, I mean, obviously the organization encourages it, but we've got some great guys um, uh, that are involved in a lot of stuff, you know, um, and, and the, you know, I think, I don't know if the game's a little more transient. I mean, it was a little bit different. We, we made our homes here and, uh, and now, Players, uh, you know, the season ends and they they end up leaving. It's not, you know, just they they have that option. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. So it was a little easier for us to become more a part of the community. But uh, we never we never hesitate. To, the organization never hesitates to, you know, to try to remind players of of that stuff. But but uh, you know, 
right from the top, uh, Connor and Leon, you know, have been uh, very active and generous with donating money to various organizations. New just, you know, New just dug in and and uh, and really made Edmonton uh, a home. Um, and and but they've been, we've had a young team for a lot of years, so it takes you know it takes years and years to sort of get there. But uh, yeah, the we try to we at the end of the day, our 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 goal. The foundation's goal is to try to link, you know, every player with some organization and, and up to them, whatever they feel, you know, some of them have a passion for dogs. So uh, the SPCA and things like that. Uh, but it really, for me, uh, besides, uh, the, you know, you hope that the good that it provides, I really always felt and still feel it's, it's a nice break from from the game you know it's nice to get out in the community and connect with people uh that aren't necessarily part of the game and uh it it it, it i mean we have a naturally giving city as you as as you guys well know i mean it's amazing when you look at our 50 50 but but anything that goes on the support the people that step up and donate money and support for organizations is it's not equaled anywhere i believe in the country you know, it's funny you'd mentioned that, Kevin. Um, that 50-50 draw uh, a couple uh, weeks ago that benefited uh, the mustard seed. Uh, I had, for uh, two and a half years, I did some media relations work with them and had a lot of fun working with the alumni uh, for Hockey Helps the Homeless. And sure. a lot of nonprofits like the mustard seed and a lot of other businesses have been hit so hard by this pandemic and that money is going to make an absolute world of difference. I mean, a real boots on the ground world of difference to the people they serve. Uh, it's absolutely remarkable. And I'm not asking you to toot your own horn here, but that the Edmonton Oilers community foundation is a real driver in this community, isn't it? It, it sure is, and uh, has been since about, uh, I think 2002 was the first year it began. Um, we've had a lot of wonderful board members. Uh, again, another way to connect to the city. We've, we've had you know so many leaders in the city uh, as part of the board right now. Um, uh, Natalie Minkler has been our executive director. Both of you guys know well, and she's, Natalie's been there for, for a number of years and does such an amazing job. But yes, the Edmonton Oilers Community Foundation uh, gives a lot of a lot back. But it, it's really it's 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 really thanks to the Oilers and their fans. I mean, the fifty fifty money it, it you know directly comes from from Oiler fans. Yeah, and uh, we're fortunate to have that dynamic. But but back to the mustard seed gift. Yes, I mean, uh, you know that'd be kind of a number that they. I'm not even sure they would get in, in a couple of years' time, let alone on one one foul swoop. And 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 the 50-50s you speak about. I mean, we used to get excited when when we first started breaking a hundred thousand uh, as the overall take, and you know, fifty to the winner, fifty to the charity. But uh, you know, we we'll be north of forty-five million uh, into the community, and, and if we're not already there, kind of missing time. But but you talked about mustard seed. And, and just a little more about the foundation, uh, the, you know, the strategic plan developed by, by the board um, uh, not that long ago really has a big emphasis on 
on um, now supporting hockey as much as we can. Hockey is for everyone. Hockey is for the less fortunate. Uh, hockey is inclusive um, uh, or should be inclusive, but also uh, the the uh, the, um, the social need within the city. You talked about mustard seed and Boyle Street, and uh, because we make our home in downtown Edmonton, Rogers Place is there. Uh, we certainly want to continue helping as many organizations as we have in the past, but we really want to have a strong focus on, you know, on the downtown core. And of course, mustard seed was, is a big part of that. You know, and it's funny you should say that too. And this is, this is so much about hockey guys and hockey organizations. When we had the bubble here this past summer, the guys from Las Vegas had noticed, you know, on the other side of the, the building that uh, people were in need and were sending pizzas over there to everybody and and it's just it was such a special story or the ov story walking from i think the weston or the hotel mac and running into a guy who definitely needed a coat and dragged him into the sport check that was in the downtown location and bought him a coat and that story didn't get out until almost he'd left town but that just says so much about the hockey community i love those stories yeah those were those were fantastic uh um, yeah, the, the, and, the, and you, you mean, you touched on it, Robin, with the pandemic, um, you know, much more need and, uh, there's going to continue to be, uh, but, uh, as you know, we, we continue to thank our, our fans and the supporters at 50, 50, because they, you know, they can rest assured that the money's going, it's going to be placed in, in, in a great spot and be, you know, uh, well appreciated and, and we're thankful of it and we'll continue to try to get creative and try to, you know, beat the last big target. I'm not sure how many more North of 2 million we're going to have, but, uh, 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 hopefully we will because, uh, there'll be a lot of benefit from it. One last one for me, Kevin, um, you are without even any reasonable doubt the most competitive person that I've ever met. I've seen it many times over the years, and that's a good thing. Um, it has manifested itself in different ways. Let's just say that. <laughs> but now as, as you and Bryn and I, for that matter, slide into our 60s and we're, we're older and more mature, where do you get your competitive fix from now what does it for you uh these days yeah good question i'm not sure uh uh i am involved in some business outside of the game so um and uh uh some land development and that can be competitive trying to convince uh approving bodies and things like that it's it's you know you win or I don't want to say you win or they win, but uh, that's that's sort of away from the Oilers. I mean, still just watching the Oilers, I, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, I get my adrenaline fix. You know, I, I, if they lose, I'm, I'm upset. Uh, not necessarily at them. I'm just upset uh, the way I always was. And and uh, but at 62, you know, I can't have my heart challenged too much. So I got to I can't be being too competitive, you know, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, uh, some card games with, uh, with Karen and the kids and, uh, I don't have to win, but I need my fair share of winning. Uh, and that keeps me sane. 
Two quick last ones for me. One, do you and Berkey still talk? Uh, we do, yeah. And, and uh, um, we uh, it took some time, and I'm not sure if you heard that that side story. It's it's kind of an interesting one, and he talks about it in his book, where uh, he, you know, we we were never the best of friends, but we were, you know, we were. Uh, both managers. We enjoyed talking to one another. I had gone fishing with them, but I can't say, I mean, you sometimes, you have a loose description of what a friend is. So, I mean, I, I mean, I consider you guys friends. I mean, we would spend a lot of time together. Uh, so we were sort of in that vein. <clears throat> and then when the thing went down with the, with the offer sheet and all that, and, and kind of, it blew up. Uh, one thing I remember is Dean Lombardi after about two or three months of all this, uh, talking to Dean. Dean was in LA at the time as GM and uh, somehow Berkey's name came up and he said, Hey, that thing with you and Berkey, like that wasn't for real, right? That was just Berkey, like doing a PR stunt. I said, I said, no, Dean, that, that it's, it's pretty much real. And uh, so that was kind of a, a, a funny thing, but on a, on the more serious side. So again, we, you know, we wouldn't see each other that often, maybe at the hall of fame awards, you'd, you'd see someone in passing and we'd make sure we didn't, we didn't, you know, talk to one another. And then when Berkey's son passed away, uh, sadly, um, the the actual night of that happening, uh, I got a call from Steve Tambellini who, you know, was quite close with Berkey. And he said, uh, you know, we talked about it a bit. And then he said that, that, you know, he said, Berkey's wants to talk to you. He He needs to talk to you. I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, we haven't talked forever. It's kind of strange that he'd want to talk to me um, after his son had passed. So sure enough, he phoned me the next morning. And uh, it's it, the reason for the call, and explain it quickly, was that he, his son who had passed away, uh, they had had a, he and Brian had had a conversation. Uh, I think Brian alluded to his son saying, you know, Dad, you, I mean, these spats you have, things going on like the one with Kevin Lowe is that's ridiculous he's, you, you got to show him you know whatever he said to him more maturity or he, I mean that 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 and I, I'm sure Brian's reaction was well that's your that's your point of view not mine but after his son passed he said I'm you know this I'm doing this in honor of my son who um you know I want to open up the lines of communication or whatever so you know, ever since that day we've we've I guess been called, uh, we're friends again. Excellent. And before we go, I'm a member of the uh, Cure Cancer Foundation. And one of the events that I've been involved in over the last little while, you know, obviously I've been touched by cancer, but I also want to make sure that nobody else has to go through what I've been going through. And uh, one of the events we do is called Toast of the Town. And we did a great night for Barry Stafford and had a lot of fun. I don't like to call it a roast. It is a toast because we do... uh, we do have some fun. Some stories do come up. We were going to do one with you last year, but of course, with the way COVID went last August, we couldn't do it. We're hoping to get it under, uh, you know, underway again this coming August. But uh, I, I do want to encourage everybody that uh, if we and when we get back to normal and we are shooting for August, that if anybody gets an opportunity to buy tickets to come to your event as we toast and roast you, that they do so. Uh, that that's going to be a fun night, and we'll have a lot of uh, we'll have a lot more stories coming up that night too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Brennan. Hopefully, as you say, we can 
as things uh, uh, improve on the pandemic side, I'm hoping by August that we'll be able to have it. Uh, we're, I think uh, uh, the crew there, uh, Barry and company, are, are are very hopeful. It's a good event and, and uh, for the best, you know, for a fantastic cause. Uh, so the goal is to, to raise a bunch of money for the for the Cure Cancer Foundation, who you're well aware of, and of course I am. So, yeah, I encourage everyone to come. It'll be a fun night. Uh, I'm sure there'll be stories. Well, I know there'll be stories told that have never been told publicly before. So, uh, <laughs> come and join one. us. Hey, one of the stories yeah. that came up though at Barry Stafford's one, I got to find out and make sure this one is true. And I can't remember who told the story. Uh, it was an executive with uh, a rather sizable company about. You and Barry Stafford with laces. You know what I'm talking about. Can you uh, can you yeah. can you break that story down to kind of send us off here? What happened there? I, Barry, Barry loves his uh, Barry loves to make sure that his budget is met. Yeah, yeah. Barry Barry's passionate. Uh, speaking about competitive and passion, Robin. Now there and and again that there. You know, uh, I remember signing a picture for Barry that he had in his training room. And it was a picture of, you've maybe seen of, of, of Mark and Wayne and I uh, uh, hoisting the cup. And what I said on it was, uh, you know, some of the fact that, you know, not that I, never before as, you know, trainers been more impactful on, on championships. And uh, I really believe that. I mean, it's, it's, it's the whole plethora, the whole, shopping list of things that need to go well to win, especially multiple championships. And a guy like Barry, you know, Barry, you know, grew up, uh, played hockey at U of A under Claire Drake. I mean, what better experience can anybody have? Uh, but, uh, you know, a hockey player that eventually turned into a trainer, he's so passionate as he'll admit, not, you know, not good enough to, to make it to the next level. Uh, but here's a guy who, who's ultra compassionate or uh, uh, passionate, but also, you know, knows the game, knows what guys are going through. And then of course gets his marching orders from Glenn Sather, uh, who, uh, you know, was obviously a stickler about the little things and particularly keeping your eye on the budget. So, uh, you know, we had I mean, strong, strong rules. I mean, imagine this, it's the national hockey league. We were only allowed to have three sticks at a time. We had our game stick and, and like two game sticks. And then we could add another practice stick in there in the, in the event that two game sticks broke during the game. Of course, you could always fill up that quota so you could continue to have three. But it's a National Hockey League. I used to walk in dressing rooms and I'd see, you know, guys would have 30 sticks taped up. But anyhow, we, we, had, we, had, our, we had our marching orders. And uh, relative to the laces, so I got to a point where uh, and it must have been, you know, it's more of a, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, not, what do you call it? Not a, like a superstition? Superstition. Okay. More of a superstition. I obviously took out a pair of new laces one game and tied them up and my skates feel great, felt great. And if your skates feel great, you feel good on the ice. And if you feel good in the ice, chances are you're going to have a good game. And, and uh, uh, the next game had the same laces in, but it didn't go quite so well. So the following game, I said, I'm going to put a new pair of laces in. And of course, had a good game. So 
And it was a kind of a feel thing. So like literally I'd, I'd take a brand new pair of laces, which would be shocking to Barry and use them one game and then take a new pair for the next game. And, and, and they, so what Barry would do is he, he, I, you know, be uh, tying up my laces and take the, the old ones, which were really one game old and throw them in the garbage. And so Barry would go and not make a big fuss about it, but he would, walk around the room, look in the garbage, grab the laces, bring them back into the training room, roll them up, put them back in the little package and put them back in for, for players. And it took us a while to figure out that we thought he was just, you know, whatever, he was giving them away to goodwill or whatever he was doing with it. We didn't know what he was doing, but he was actually putting them back in. So, so to make a long story short, uh, this, and we all knew what was going on. We could see it. This would be at game time, right? This would be just before we're literally going out in the ice for warm-up. The dress room's quiet. So I took I took the lace and baited them, and I threw it in the garbage, but I hung it over the side so you wouldn't miss it. And then at the bottom of the, at the lace that was in the garbage, the part that was in the garbage, I tied a note to it saying, Ha, ah, I caught you, you cheap bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so so when, he, when he pulled the lace out of the... Out of the uh, the garbage, uh, everybody saw it and had a had a quick laugh. His face turned red, and uh, <laughs> that's the lace story. That's beauty. Hey, uh, thanks for your time today. You've given us way too much, uh, but this is long overdue. And uh, congratulations on all the honors that are coming your way. There's a jersey raising coming at some point as well, and uh, very proud of you. Proud to call you a friend. We've known each other way back since the '80s when I was doing that rock and roll thing and uh, you guys always treated me with uh, kindness and I appreciate that. And thanks for coming on. I know Robin feels the exact same way. So thanks, Kevin. Well, yeah. Bren, same thing for me, Kevin. Um, different role, never with the team, but certainly spent a lot of time around it. Um, missed the first few cups, but was around for one. And that 2006 run was, talk about unexpected and a lot of fun uh, and you were you were a manager then um, time flies and uh, sometimes I'm reminded that you got to enjoy the journey along the way because it goes pretty quick and yeah. here we are here we are today you're finally going into the hall you've got the hockey order of Canada coming up uh, congratulations on both those things Kevin I haven't had the opportunity to say that to you so I want to say it here and now I appreciate that, Robin Bryn. Uh, the, you know the feeling is mutual. It's uh, we. I do consider you guys friends, and I've always, uh, you know, with the media in the city. Although you know, at times you have your your moments, but you know, I've always looked at it as just people doing their jobs, and and uh, and um, you know, uh, you know, we go back a long way. Uh, but the, but the nice thing about I've always felt about Edmonton is that. You know, everybody that's in around the game, I mean, if we're, we become friends and, and uh, again, can put any of the differences aside that you respect them for what they're doing. So, uh, and time does fly, no question. But, uh, hey, we're still here, guys. And uh, hopefully we got a little more runway. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I'd love to come on the show uh, again sometime, uh, hopefully to talk about other good things for the Oilers organization. Thanks, Kev. Appreciate it. My pleasure.
Wow, that was that's our longest interview ever. But I thought it was it was good to. I felt like we were venting on a few subjects today, Robin. You know what? It's been a while since uh, I had the time to sit down and and talk with Kevin. And we always, in the past, firmly had our uh, GM and reporters hats on. It was nice to just chat, and uh, you know, Kevin talked a lot about the things that. Uh, uh, people want to know and uh, things that have happened during his time as an oiler, as a player, as a coach, as a manager, what he's doing now, uh, that uh, that time with him zipped by uh, real quick. I wasn't going to ask him about the Berkey thing, but I, I never really heard how that had resolved or even if it had resolved. And so I thought I'd better ask anyway. And the more I thought about it, I, I started thinking back, a little bit on the fact that stuff like that is uh... same old story boy finds girl boy loses girl girl finds boy boy forgets girl boy remembers girl and girl dies in a tragic blimp accident over the orange bowl on new year's day what Could the you? hell is no, that <laughs> oh you missed the punchline oh never mind uh that's from one of the naked gun movies or whatever uh Frank Drebin is one of my heroes. Uh, okay, so anyway, that was a blast today. And uh, like I said, I, I just uh, I can't can't thank Kevin enough for giving us well over an hour of his time. And we had some technical difficulties at the beginning, so we we had him almost for an hour and a half today. But he was great. It was uh, we were just able to shoot the shit, and uh, that's pretty much uh, the way it, it worked out. Oh, by the way, we have another rejected sponsor. Uh, do you want to hear the rejected sponsor since we're on a roll here? I, I don't. You tell me whether or not you think this one's going to qualify. Hang on. Here we go. Budweiser presents Real American Heroes. Real American Heroes. Today, we salute you, Mr. Losing Locker Room Reporter. Mr. Losing Wherever a semi-naked man is crying like a schoolgirl because he lost a ball game, you are there. Why did they lose? Because some millionaire dropped the ball. A millionaire who needs a mic stuck in his face on national television. Go ahead. Wear your cashmere blazer to work. No one's going to pour champagne on it where you're going. So this Bud's for you, oh bringer of bad news. You're not a big loser. You just interview them. Don't want to talk about it. Not sure that one's going to fit. That one's going to work. I don't know. Well, we'll That's, see. Uh, that, would be a, that would be solid sponsorship right there. Well, it's not quite the Macintosh group at Remax River City. But it might be a close second. Hey, listen, there's a couple of little housekeeping things we have to do. If you'd uh, like to drop us an email, please do. The email address is theoutsiders at shaw.ca. Theoutsiders at shaw.ca. You can check us out on Twitter. The handle's real simple, at Outsiders2020. And also make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to our RSS feed on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that way you get the new and the hot one when it uh, comes off the press every Monday. So uh, it's pretty fantastic. Anyway, your support greatly appreciated. Your financial support is also very important to us. 
and we'd be thrilled to talk about potential advertising other than the one that we're not so sure about. And uh, we'll have bigger and better things coming up next week. Thanks, Robin. Talk to you later, okay? Excellent, pal. Talk to you later on. All right. Storm in the castle.